Now, I've given you a, a handout. The listening guide is not in your hands. You're not getting a listening guide. That's the manuscript, and you don't need to worry about that right now. But I just want you to walk with me, and let's just journey through this experience together. And the first thing I want us to look at is understand that we have a God who is a God who speaks. In 1991, I was pastoring a First Baptist Church of Folsom, Louisiana. I had just enrolled in seminary and became full-time pastor at First Baptist Folsom. Had seven deacons, seven deacons. And God put on my heart to lead our deacons and their wives through the workbook Experiencing God. Now, how many of you have heard of that before, Experiencing God? Okay, Henry Blackaby. Well, this is my favorite quote out of the Experiencing God. God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and what else? The church, fellow believers. And why does God do that? Say it with me. To reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. So God is a speaking God. We serve a God of revelation. God does not conceal. God reveals. God unveils himself. He unveils his nature and his character. God wants you to know him. In fact, the Bible says that if you'll draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. So you determine the level of intimacy that you have with God. When people say, oh, God just seems so distant, he's so far, he's so aloof, what that gives me insight into is that they don't know God. Because God is a welcoming God. God wants you to know him personally and intimately. Why do we want to know God in relationship? So that we can make him known. So God reveals himself to us that we may know him and then our passion, our desire, our purpose on this planet, the reason we are here is to make him known. Now, if you were in the early service, you noticed that we're entering into a major campaign. The church will be voting next Sunday morning. And if the church affirms the process, then we're going to be launching into a $40 million building campaign. We believe that God is a God who speaks and that God's revealing his purpose and plan for Champion Forest Baptist Church. And we believe that it's all about souls coming into the kingdom. As Dr. Fleming said, it's not about buildings, it's about souls. We're in the people business. So we're making room for people to come experience God and to know him personally. God is a God of revelation. That brings us to this book. What's it called? The Bible. I want to focus our time together on how God speaks through his word. God speaks through circumstances. If you've ever experienced a high in life or a low in life, you know God speaks. As C.S. Lewis says, pain, suffering is the megaphone of God. On February 23rd, 1986, my brother and I were jet skiing. We raced jet skis back then. And my brother hit me going 60 miles an hour. I spent two weeks in ICU. And through that experience, God called me to preach. And through that experience, God called my brother to be a paramedic. He's a flight paramedic and a surgery nurse. His focus of life is saving people on earth. My focus is saving people for eternity. So we're working together, hand in hand. But God had to bring us through a season of suffering or we would have missed his call. God speaks through circumstances, and you know that, don't you? You've been there. God speaks through his church, other believers, Maybe this morning someone came up to you and just shared a word with you. And it's the exact word you needed to hear from God. 
And God used them to speak into your life. Maybe somebody just came up and hugged you and gave you a holy hug or patted you on the back or said, I've been praying for you. And that's all you needed to get a word from God. And then the height is prayer. Communing with God. I don't know of anything more intimate to do with your spouse than pray. Did you hear that? When you pray with your spouse, you're in the throne room of God and you're in agreement with your mate praying to the creator of the universe. God reveals himself as you commune with him, as you spend time with him. God speaks. But God's primary method of speaking, God's primary method of making himself known, making his will known, his purpose and plan known, is through the Bible. Now let's take a little survey. How many of you have more than one copy of the Bible in your home? Raise your hand. How many have more than three? More than five? We'll stop there. (laughs) You can only read one at a time, right? God makes himself known through his word. Well, we're going to look at the Bible for just a moment. First of all, notice how the Bible is divided. Old Testament and New Testament. Y'all see that? Can you read those little books up there? You need to go ahead and memorize those for next week. How's that sound? You with me? Now, I want us to look at the Bible. It's made up of 66 books. How many in the Old Testament? 39 in the Old Testament. How many in the New Testament? 27. So you take 39, 3 and 9, 3 times 9 is 27. So you have 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, written by 40 human authors, inspired by God. God did not bypass their personality. God did not bypass their experience. But God used their personality. God used their experience. And He spoke through them as He anointed and inspired them. 40 human authors. One, say it with me, divine author. God, when you study how the Bible came into existence, it is overwhelming how you can trace the hand of God's providence. How God has provided the way for us to have what we have now known as the Bible. God protected the process to bring into our existence this wonderful, beautiful, genuine leather Bible. God's word to us. Because he's the divine author and he oversaw, he guided the entire process which brought his word to us. And it's really one story. It's his story. And the thread of his story throughout the word of God, all 66 books from Old Testament to New Testament, is redemption. God's heartbeat for you is that you be redeemed. That you know him personally and intimately. It was written over about 1,500 year time span. And you'll notice that the Old Testament has four divisions, four sections. You can divide it up like this. You have the books of the law, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Then you have the historical books, Joshua through Esther. Has anyone seen One Night with the King? You need to go see that movie or rent it. Fantastic movie. And then the poetical books, Job through the Song of Solomon or Song of Songs as it is in the NIV. And then the prophetical books, Isaiah through Malachi, as Dr. Fleming says. The Italian prophet, Malachi. And then we have about 400 years of silence. And then we move into the New Testament. The New Testament also can be divided 
by four. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four unique perspectives on the life of Christ. And you can walk with Matthew. You can walk with Mark. You can dine with Luke and hang out with John. And they all point to Jesus. The Gospels. And then we have the Acts. I like how Mark said last week, uh, instead of the Acts of the Apostles, he said the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Amen, brother! Keep preaching that one. That was a good one. And then the epistles. Everybody know what an epistle is, right? No, it's not the wife of an apostle. Some of you thought that. No, an epistle is simply a letter, a writing. And then the fourth division is the revelation. Now, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to extract 13 of the 21 epistles. And Paul wrote them. Now, some would say, well, what about Hebrews? Did Paul write Hebrews? And most scholars would agree that Paul did not write Hebrews, so we did not include it. Plus, Mark asked me not to. Now, in the New Testament, here's the order. Kind of read through that. See that? That's the New Testament order. Now, here's the chronological order. In other words, as he wrote letters through his experience, through his faith journey, they are in a different order. And I want to give that order to you. Here it is. And notice the flow. Now what we're going to do together is we're just going to march through the chronological order of Paul's letters. And we're just going to take a bird's eye view. I remember uh, post-Katrina, about uh, 15 days after Hurricane Katrina, I was pastoring in Baton Rouge just north of Hurricane Katrina, and the city's population doubled in two days. Unbelievable. Traffic like you would not believe. Restaurants jammed full. All the hotels packed. And people living and in, 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 uh, filling up their homes with evacuees. And our church campus was transformed into a hospital for the hurting. And we fed up to 20,000 a day. It's unbelievable what God did through that. But I had an opportunity to link up with the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, the Louisiana Baptist Convention, and then Dr. Fred Luter, one of our dear friends, uh, who was pastor at Franklin Avenue Baptist Church. And we met uh, down in Metairie area, right by the airport, and we got on a California helicopter. It was uh, the sheriff's department from Orange County. Massive helicopter. We all got on the helicopter, and we flew over New Orleans. Massive helicopter. The side door is open, and you wouldn't believe the stench. Petroleum. Dead animals, sewage. And here we are flying over New Orleans and that, that smell is coming all the way up into the helicopter. But I'll never forget when we flew over Franklin Avenue Baptist Church and Pastor Fred Luter looked over and saw his church in eight feet of water. And he just broke down, began to cry. You see, there's something about perspective. That's why when you're going through a season of difficulty, a season of suffering, it's always good to get God's perspective. My son, Austin, loves football. And one day he said, Dad, why does that coach wear those earmuffs? I said, he's talking to the man up in the press box. Why? Because the man up there has a different perspective on the field. 
When you're up in a helicopter, up in a plane, you have a different perspective on life and the world. And when you commune with God and spend time with God, God pulls you up out of your circumstances to let you see them from His perspective. It's called the bird's eye view. And that's what we're going to do as we march through the letters of Paul. You ready to go there? Now stand with me. Stand up, stretch for just a moment. Now we're going to march through this. It's going to be fun. Now look to your neighbor and say, buckle in. We're going to be traveling the speed of Mark Lanier. All right, you may be seated. God bless you. The photos that I will be exhibiting, uh, I took in Ephesus. I was there in July in Turkey, and this uh, photo is from Ephesus. I have several that you'll see as we go along. So just know they're personal, and uh, I could tell you a lot about them, but we won't do that. All right? Well, let's start here. F.F. Bruce. How many have been reading the book? Okay, how many of you have been calling Dale Hearn to say, now what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? Could you produce a glossary of terms, you know, uh, and Dale did that for me. Appreciate you doing that, Dale. But here's a quote from F.F. F. Bruce. Let's see if we can figure this one out. You ready? All of the New Testament authors, of all of them, Paul is the one who has stamped his own personality most unmistakably on his writings. It is especially for this reason that he has his secure place among the great letter writers in world literature. Not because he has composed his letters with a careful eye to stylistic propriety and the approving verdict of a wider public than those for whom they were primarily intended, but because they express so spontaneously and therefore so eloquently his mind and message. I mean, when you read the letters of Paul, it's as though he's sitting in your den watching your big screen TV. Let's start with Galatians, his first letter. Galatians. Now, Galatians was written in response to the Jerusalem council. Does a Gentile have to be circumcised in order to become a Jew, in order to become Christian? And the ruling was what? Don't burden them with that legalism. They can come to Christ direct. Well, that's a good word. I want you to notice, first of all, that Paul was writing from Antioch. This is the only one of Paul's letters specifically addressed to churches in more than one city. He's writing to the churches. That's plural. Many churches in the Galatia region, which is modern-day Turkey. So we would call this a circular letter. It's one that would have been read at many different house churches. And it would bring such healing, such resolve to the believers who were battling this concept of Gentile and Jew and learning that we are one in Christ. And they're trying to get their hands around that. So Paul writes them a letter. Key verse, Galatians 3.11. Let's say this one aloud. Can you see it on the screens? Here we go. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. Another translation says, the just shall live by faith. Does that ring a bell? Can you trace that back to the Reformation? The just shall live by faith. That's Galatians. Galatians in one word, unshackled. Paul is trying to help the believers Walk in the freedom they have in Christ. Warren Rearsby says that Galatians is the strongest word from God against legalism. 
Now lean forward for just a moment. Here's my definition of legalism. Bypassing relationship in order to fulfill ritual. You can be a highly religious person, disciplined to the bone, and empty. Legalism is when you're checking it off. Had my quiet time, read my Bible, prayed. Checked it off. Went to Sunday school, checked, went to church. Check, ate a healthy meal one time. That's legalism. And what Paul is trying to do here, he's trying to lead the believers from ritualism and routine and legalism that bypasses relationship. You just check it off. You don't have to feel anything. You don't have to make any major decisions. You don't have to trust or believe. You just check it off. It's legalism. And Paul is saying, come out of that environment. You are free in Christ. Now relate to Him personally. So you move from religion to what? Relationship. Isn't that sweet? That's the heart of God. First and second Thessalonians. Oh, I love these. Rich. Paul's writing from Corinth. The church at Thessalonica is founded by Paul on his second MJ. What's MJ? Missionary journey. Each chapter contains some reference to the second coming of Christ. And that's why you'll hear it read often at funerals. Because it speaks about the hereafter. That Jesus is coming. Hang on. Jesus is coming. Key verses. I want to read these. For the Lord himself. See if you recognize this. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. With a voice of the archangel. With a trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Now what I want you to see here. In this next section, we're going to come across the word for rapture. Now, if you were to look up the word rapture in your Bible or on your Bible program, you won't find it. Because the English word rapture is not in the Bible, just like the English word trinity is not in the Bible, though the doctrine is throughout the word of God. The word rapture is not in the Bible But the Greek word harpazo, which means to snatch up or to be raptured. Dr. Jerry Vines, when he pastored First Baptist Church of Jacksonville, Florida, he told about an experience, Lewis, where he went in to ICU to see an elderly lady and she was recovering well, about to be moved to a regular room. And she said, Preacher, I want to talk about the rupture of the church. He said, You mean the rapture? She said, No, I mean the rupture. We're not talking about the rupture of the church. We're talking about the rapture of the church. When in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the Lord Jesus is going to come for His saints. Now people say, now, what about those who were cremated? Well, what about those who were tossed at sea after they died? What about those who had a horrific death and were burned up in a crash? Well, what about those who were embalmed and those who weren't embalmed? What about all of them? What's God going to do with them? If the dead in Christ are going to rise first, here's how I'll say a little answer to that. The same God who fashioned them in the beginning can put them back together. 
Now, I'm not, don't tell Tanya I want to be cremated. But cremation's okay. If that's your personal preference. Because it doesn't matter what your shell looks like in the ground or in the ocean or on the mantle. Because the God who puts you together is the God who's going to refashion you and remake you. And you're going to trade in that old Pinto anyway for a Lamborghini. And get your glorified body, so you're going to be okay. But the question is, the rapture, what about those of us who are left? Those of us who are still alive when Jesus comes again? What about us? The next verse right here. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be called up. There's the word, called up, raptured, harparzo, snatched up, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Friday marked my 21-year anniversary of being licensed to preach. Now, I surrendered to preach February 26, 1986 in the ICU at Rapids General Hospital in Alexandria, Louisiana. But January 11th of 1987, I was licensed to preach. So this past Friday, I had a little, you know, aha moment with the family before we prayed. And it was just really neat to travel back. I've had many people ask me, How's this rapture thing going to work? I mean, what if you live in New Zealand? How do you go up when you're under the earth? (laughs) God's got it all figured out. It's going to be okay. First and second Thessalonians in one word. uh, Two words. (laughs) Be ready. Be ready. I'm going to First Baptist Folsom in uh, April to preach the 100-year anniversary. And while I was there pastoring for six years, we uh, built a, a relationship with the African-American church, the Church of God in Christ. And we really became very close, and so we would swap pulpits and swap choirs. So our church would go to their church and do church with them, and then they would come to our church. When we went there, uh, we got to experience their music and their preaching And when they came to our church, they got to experience our worship and our preaching. And what I really enjoyed was their choir would sing. And one of the songs they would sing, Be ready, be ready, be ready, be ready. Walking through Jerusalem just like John. Walking through Jerusalem just like John. And I just get chills. Knowing that God has called me as a child of the King, as a child of God, to be ready at a moment's notice because He's coming again. Be ready, be ready. Aren't you glad I don't sing in the choir? (laughs) First and second Corinthians. Let's march through this together. It's from uh, Paul's writing. First Corinthians from Ephesus. Second Corinthians from Macedonia. Now, actually he had four correspondences with Corinth. Four inspired writings that we have two of. And let me show you how they break down. The first letter, or correspondence A, he identifies that in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, when he talks about in the previous letter I wrote you. And we're looking for it. It's probably lost. God knows where it is. And God knows who shot J.R. <laughs> <clears throat> We were in Kazakhstan on a mission trip, and uh, I was leading a, a, a missionary retreat. And uh, the SC, the strategy, strategy coordinator, he, he oriented our team. He said, now, I know that Dallas is old, and now there are reruns. But all we see here in Kazakhstan are reruns. 
Whatever you do, don't let anybody here know who shot Jr. because they haven't seen that one yet. <laughs> the second letter is what we have, 1 Corinthians. Then the, the third letter, the third correspondence, uh, he talks about... Uh, uh, you have to look it up, but how... His heart is broken. He's bleeding. It's a very painful and severe letter. And he's apologetic saying, I hate that I had to be so hard on you. And, and we're still looking for that letter. And then the fourth letter is 2 Corinthians. And we have that in our Bible. Everybody with me? And don't let that stress you out. Just know that God has given us all we can handle and all we need to know Him and make Him known. Well, let's move forward. Uh, let me skip through this. First and 2 Corinthians in one word. What's the word? Unity. Now listen carefully. It is not uniformity. God does not expect Champion Forest Baptist Church to be uniform, that we all look just alike. But unity in the spirit realm is when you're unified in the midst of diversity. That's the body of Christ. Amen? Romans. Romans. Now, Paul sometimes would write, and he would even state in his letter, I wrote this in my own hand, by my own hand, my own writing. But sometimes he would use a secretary, like Tertius. Uh, Tertius wrote down for Paul, Romans, and then Phoebe, interestingly, delivered it to Rome. Isn't that interesting? Phoebe, in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, is the first mention of a diaconos. Y'all got women deacons up there? Well... Acts 16.1 is the word, well, you just look it up about diakonos, but it's Phoebe. Phoebe. But I'm convinced that the church would be non-existent if it weren't for the women. I mean, you just think about who showed up at the tomb first by faith. The women. Well, that's another lesson. We better move on. Paul's writing from the home of a very wealthy church member, Gaius, uh, there in Corinth. And so Gaius has opened up his home and allowing Paul to, uh, to write from his home. And he's ministering to him. There are more Old Testament quotations than all the other uh, epistles combined. When you read Romans, you ought to immediately think of doctrine. It's loaded with doctrine. And it's loaded with salvation. The word righteous is used over 60 times. A key verse I want us to look at together. Let's say it aloud. Are you ready? Now say it with passion. Here we go. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, he's quoting Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. I put in your notes, the Romans road to salvation. You can take the book of Romans and the verses I have in there in your notes and you can lead anyone to faith in Jesus Christ. It is the Roman road to salvation. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I love the book of Romans. I wish we had time to dive in and it would be in another uh, experience. But Romans chapter 7. 
where Paul is wrestling with his flesh. Remember that verse he says, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. And the big debate is, now was he talking about before Christ or after Christ? Is he talking about when he was lost or when he was saved? I believe he's talking about when he's saved. That the Spirit of God is alive in you, but your flesh still has tendencies and patterns and old former behaviors that every now and then they, they show up. You're like a chicken with a head cut off, dead, but doesn't know it. That's your flesh. And that's why whatever you feed grows. Whatever you starve dies. And Paul was just recognizing this civil war that goes on the inside. And that's why you have to crucify your flesh. Allow the Spirit of God to have free reign. Romans in one word, say it with me. Righteousness. Another good word would be justification. I'm justified. It's just if I'd never sinned. Whoo, glory! Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians. We're going to group those together. These are uh, known as the prison epistles. Now, why is that? Because Paul is writing from prison. The prison epistles. And we're going to just group these together. Now, I know the order maybe bothers you. It bothers me. Because I know them in order of appearance in the New Testament, but we're going chronologically. It's as though Paul has all his letters laid out on a table, and we start from his first one, Galatians, and then we pick up the next, and the next, and the next, and now we're going to pick up his prison epistles. I would love to know what he wrote from prison. My dad was sentenced to 10 years in prison. And I'll never forget, in 1999, Pastoring in my hometown, I went to see my dad in jail in my hometown. And I went to tell him two things. Daddy, I love you and I forgive you. God gave me the wonderful opportunity to share the plan of salvation with my dad. And at the end, I said, Dad, understanding what we've shared, would you like to receive God's forgiveness by trusting in Christ as your personal Savior and Lord? And he said, Stephen, I've done that. And I said, Dad, I need to know when because I'll be doing your funeral. He said, when I was 21. And I said, Dad, do you know without a doubt if you were to die tonight, you'd go to heaven? He said, I know without a doubt. But Stephen, what I needed to know more than anything was your forgiveness. And I walked out of that gray six-by-nine cell with a metal table and two chairs. Free. He was not the one in prison. I was. Until I released him through forgiveness. And I understand that song says, like a mercy came running, like a prisoner set free. Because I was a prisoner of unforgiveness. So these pastoral or prison epistles, close to my heart, very close to my heart. The prison epistles, they also include Philemon, which we'll look at in a moment. Ephesians, in a word, say it, blessed. Remember, Pastor David led us to a summer in Ephesus. I know it went beyond the summer, but that was the title of the series. I love that key verse right there. 
Colossians in one word, supremacy. The supremacy of Christ. It's found here in Colossians 1, 18 through 20. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything He might have, say it with me, supremacy. Whatever is over your head is beneath His feet. It's going to be okay. Whatever you're struggling with, it's beneath His feet. It's going to be okay. Philippians, in one word. Joy. Now remind me, where is Paul writing from? Prison. And the key word in the book of Philippians is joy. And what we learn from Paul is that joy is not connected to circumstances. When everything is looking just right and feeling just right and all the bills are paid and there's extra money left over at the end of the month, then I'm going to experience joy. I'll be happy. Happiness is based on happenstance, but joy is not connected to circumstances. You can have joy even when you're in the valley of the shadow of death. When you've been wronged, you can have joy. You can be in prison, chained to two Roman soldiers, eight-hour shifts. And you can make the most of that opportunity. And you can tell this one about Jesus. And you can tell this one about Jesus. And the whole palace guard was one to faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because Paul was chained to Roman soldiers. Instead of whining, he started shining. And experienced joy. I love this verse. And all my prayers for all of you because of your partnership in the gospel, from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul's identifying that he loves the church at Philippi. He's got a heart for them. And he gives them this beautiful love letter. Now let's talk about Paul's letters to individuals. We have looked over, we flew over in our helicopter, bird's eye view of the letters to the churches. But let's look at the three uh, letters I've combined to. You'll see that in just a moment. Letters to individuals. You ready? Philemon. Philemon is just one chapter. So it doesn't say like chapter one, verse so-and-so. Just one chapter. So you just put the verse. Great book. Love Philemon. You need to read it. Fantastic. It's the shortest of Paul's inspired letters. The only one of the prison epistles addressed to an individual. Key verses 17 and 18. Here it is. He's writing this most incredible concept. That here Philemon has a slave named Onesimus. The slave runs away. He and Paul get connected. Paul leads him to faith in Jesus Christ. Now the slave becomes a child of the king. So Paul's going to write a letter to Philemon and say, Now, if you consider me a brother, receive him back. But not as a slave, as a fellow brother. Well, that's a good word. You need to read that. It's good stuff. In one word, Philemon is... Forgiveness. Forgiveness. <clears throat> Titus. Now, Titus is one of Paul's protégés. He is a one of his sons in the ministry. Paul led Titus to faith in Jesus Christ and included him in his missionary journeys. And then Titus is now serving as a pastor of the churches on the island of Crete. There are many churches on that island. Titus is over them. And uh, Paul's investing in his life. Key verse here. I love this verse. Let's read this one quickly. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people 
that are his very own, eager to do what is good. You could feed on that for months, couldn't you? One word, Titus. The book is about godliness. Titus, know who you are and whose you are. And I love how he said, I I sent you there to straighten out the churches there. He had a hard ministry. I've uh, read that several times as a pastor. First and second Timothy. Uh, Titus, first and second Timothy are what are called pastoral epistles. One pastor just pouring his heart out and investing in his son in the ministry of Timothy and investing in these young uh, ministers of God, Titus and Timothy, and uh, just being very pastoral. And it, it also helps us understand doctrine and duty, faith and practice, how the church is to be organized and how the church is to be mobilized. Timothy was led to the Lord by Paul and joined Paul in a second missionary journey. You can read about that. Uh, It's a fascinating experience because Timothy was considered a half-breed. And then Paul led him to faith in Christ. He joins the missionary team and he shadows Paul. Then Paul unleashes Timothy to become the pastor of the church at Ephesus. That's a neat church. Now, the book of Revelation picks up and says, from the letter from Jesus back to the church, you have forsaken your what? First love. And you wonder, was that during Timothy's pastorate or somebody else? Timothy in one word, order. And second Timothy in one word, loyalty. Loyalty. God is a God of order and God honors loyalty. Let me give you the points for home. You ready for them? Points for home. Now, I've just mapped out a very practical way for you to maximize our experience as we continue to march through the letters of Paul. Let me just give you the map here. This will help us out. Okay, first of all, remember that your beliefs determine your behavior. If your children are rebelling, you don't have to worry about their behavior. You focus on their beliefs. You see, they may be embracing the reality that they believe that they can get away with what they're doing. That's a belief, so it results in a behavior. You change their belief, show them you can't get away with that. Because at the moment of decision, they believe this is my best choice. They're believing it, and it's producing a behavior. So your beliefs determine your behavior. So seek to grow in your knowledge of God's Word. How do you do that? By reading God's Word. You don't grow unless you feed on His Word. And then solidify what you really believe about God and His revelation. It's okay to agonize and wrestle with, do I believe this? I don't understand this. God, help me to understand this. And God's going to help you through that. If you're not challenged by the Word of God and it's just a smooth experience for you, I don't know that you're really reading the Word of God. It ought to challenge you. It ought to stretch you. Because you'll never grow without resistance. As you read the Word of God and you begin to examine your life in light of God's holiness and purity and perfection... It's going to stretch you and cause a little bit of pain. But no pain, say it with me, no gain. So seek to grow in the Lord and solidify what you believe about God in His revelation. And then stay open to allow God to make adjustments in your life. God's going to show you some things that you may not be ready for. God's going to highlight some things in your life that you're going to have to confront and deal with as you read through His Word. Stay open. Say, God, I'm yours. Mold me, shape me. Use your word to form me into the character of Christ. And then make room in your life 
to hear from God. Did you know we live in a noisy world? So noisy, so busy. No wonder we're not hearing from God. We, we're making no room to hear from God. And what I want to challenge you with and challenge me with is to make room in your life to hear from God. Practice solitude. What is solitude? Silence. Some people would go crazy if it got quiet. I mean, even if you're not watching TV, it's on. Why? You like the noise. Begin to practice solitude. And what you'll find is that in solitude, God turns the volume up on what's really going on in your life. Protect your daily time and place to be alone with God. We had supper with a family, two families last night, and uh, one was talking about how, and they haven't joined our church yet, but they're shopping, love our church, and we believe they're going to come here. We met them through football. And she said, you know, there's a chair in my room. And we call it the prayer chair. And so our family just gathers around the prayer chair. Where is your place? Find your place and spend time alone with God there. Pray, listen, and reflect. And praying is not just talking to God, it's listening to God and then reflecting on what God says. And sometimes you have to slow down to give God room in your life to reveal Himself. And then commit to read through the letters of Paul. How many are there? Thirteen. Begin reading through the letters of Paul. And it would be fun as you can read them chronologically as he wrote them or you can read them in the order of appearance in the New Testament. Either way, God's going to speak. But read the letters of Paul. What I like to do is you read four chapters a day and then you write down one verse from each chapter. So what I'll do is I'll read four chapters and I'll write down four verses, one from each chapter that really connected with me, and then I'll write down four statements about, okay, this really connected with me and here's what I sense God's saying. I'll write that out and then I, I just like to be practical. Okay, God, what are you asking me to do today? What are you asking me to believe today that maybe I didn't believe last week or do today that I wasn't doing or stop doing that I was doing? I just like to be practical. And so I'll just, I'll just write down one action statement. Uh, I put an excerpt in your, your listening guide there. I think it's from November 7th, 07. I was reading through Jan Daniel chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. And what I did differently there is at the end, I wrote down four action steps. Everybody with me? And so uh, the main thing is to write down one verse and then to de develop an action statement that captures what God is asking you to do. So we're moving from being just hearers of the word to being what? Doers of the word. Here's the bottom line. We already know more than we're doing. So just simply obey what you know as God speaks. And then here's what I want to challenge you with. Can you see that? Invite someone to sit with you next week so that they can hear from God and spend eternity with God. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for our time together. I thank you for being a God of revelation. Lord, have you revealed yourself to us through your word, through circumstances in the church, and through prayer. But God, we thank you for the Bible.
And I pray that we'll read it, that we'll believe it, and that we'll apply it. That we will have a better world because of our lifestyles as a result of it. And Lord, that we'll be passionate about inviting others into your kingdom so they can know you like we know you and spend eternity with you. Father, I pray that we'll be committed to reading through the letters of Paul, your word to us. And God, that you'll transform us for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.